Hi, I'm Sherry Fella, the founder of Bloombase. And I'm Allison Lochran, partner at Bloombase. Welcome to the Power 2 podcast. On this podcast, we explore power from a feminine perspective, how it shows up in and with people from diverse experiences. We want to explore how, when, and why humans feel powerful, and when they don't, how to get there. Power 2 is personal power, the ability to choose our own states and behaviors. Our intent with this conversation isn't just to have an intriguing conversation. Our intent is to have an impactful one, one that opens up possibilities and may even change behaviors. Welcome to Power 2. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about power to be emotionally intelligent. And I wanted to give you some background before we dove into the interview with our guests. There are lots of folks now talking about power over versus power to, especially in terms of leadership and especially in the corporate world. And I'm glad about that. When we started this podcast dedicated to this topic of power to leadership in the early part of 2019, We didn't hear anyone talking about it. So that feels like progress in the right direction, particularly now, given the current state of power dynamics in our country and sadly throughout much of the world. Power too is enabling, connecting, liberating. It gives us all an opportunity to experience our maximum potential. Power too is personal power, the ability to choose our own state's behaviors and actions, just like we say on the intro of every podcast. And at the core of it is emotional intelligence, or EI or EQI for short. EI is important for all of us as humans because it gives us a choice, choice around how we want to show up, how we want to engage, collaborate, or intimidate as examples. EI is important because it helps us gain awareness about ourselves and others, and in that awareness opens up possibility for choice. All of our work at Bloombase stands firmly on the foundation of EI for this reason. At Bloombase, we're about impact, and bottom line impacts for organizations come from behaviors of individual leaders, leaders who influence the people around them for good or for bad. We know that the only way to maximize the potential of the organization is to maximize the potential of every person in that organizational system. And for us, the clearest path to maximizing individual potential is through constantly striving to maximize our EI confidence. We can tell you about all the research out there that proves this, But more importantly, this podcast is to share those experiences with you where you see that research brought to life in real-time practice and in real-time context. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to our guest today. Today in the podcast, we speak to Brad Swearingen, and we feel honored to have Brad because he's a myth buster when it comes to EI. What I mean by myth busting is we hear commonly that men aren't interested in EI. Brad is obviously a man. We hear commonly that highly technical leaders don't need or want emotional intelligence. Brad is one of the most brilliant, highly technical leaders I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And we commonly hear that environments like manufacturing or the defense industry aren't the right place for EI. They won't be accepted or they're not a fit. And Brad fits squarely in those two aspects as well. So again, rather than us tell you how leaders like Brad feel, we want you to hear from him. Why does he value EI? What does it mean for him? And how does it come up throughout his leadership? So now, on to our interview with Brad. Welcome to the Power 2 podcast. Allison, how are you doing today? I'm having a great day. I'm excited about our conversation today. 
Me too. Uh, in the session today, we have with us Brad Swearingen from Rolls-Royce. Brad is the Global Director of Product Cybersecurity at Rolls-Royce. And Brad, we're so grateful to have you here today. No, thank you. It's my honor to be here today. And I, I'm really excited to, to be part of uh, the initiative you're creating here. So thank you. So exciting. So today on the podcast, we're going to be delving into a topic the three of us are very passionate about, power to be emotionally intelligent. And super excited to have Brad and all his experience here, which we'll get to, and how we kind of unpack this meaty, this meaty topic area and area of competence for leaders. So Brad, we always start with one question, and that is, what does power mean to you? You know, I really li- I like the question a lot. As I'm thinking about this, it's a, power is a very dynamic word. It has a good connotation, and it has a, uh, I guess, the flip side, the bad connotation. And So I'll start with the good connotation. The way I think about power is that there's this self-confidence and courage to find that that power inside of you, to find that inner strength, to ultimately, I guess, the courage to believe in yourself, to do more than you thought was, uh, that you imagined was possible. And then as a leader, you can, you think of power differently in that, that, or at least I do, and it becomes kind of this, this power to influence or inspire and there's many facets to it, but it's ultimately uh, you're wanting to inspire others to believe in themselves to accomplish more than they ever believed was possible. And I think when you're able to combine those two between believing in yourself and then having having a leader, it, you, you get this this power to change the world and, and do something positive with it and get this meaningful, fulfilling change that you're looking for. The flip side of that is where you're using power and, you know, maybe a command and control type style or you're powering over other individuals and you're really, I guess, taking power away from from them in a way to either accomplish a goal for yourself or accomplish some other goal that they have to do. And you're taking that power away because you're taking away their choice in the matter. It's it's whether they have to do something or they're inspired to choose to do something. And it works in different ways. And ultimately, I, I have found that if you can inspire others to choose something, it's way more powerful than the other than the other model. I was going to say, sorry to interrupt, Sherry. I love all the words that you're using, Brad. That is just, it feels inspiring just you talking about it. My question for you as you talk through that is, would you have defined power this way before you started really learning about and exercising and unpacking emotional intelligence. Has that shifted the definition of power for you or no? No, absolutely. I, it, I would say emotional intelligence is the single most transformational skill that I've learned as a, as a business leader. And of course, all in different facets of life. But 10 years ago, I was the opposite of a emotional intelligent leader. I, I had learned from many others in, in my industry and in practice of that that sh- and the problem with like a power over style or a command and control style is it, it gets results. It delivers in the short term. It, it can meet the targets, mm-hmm. but they're not long-term results. You're going to lose team members. You're going to burn them out. They're not going to treat you the same when you don't have that same power over them. If you've genuinely inspired them to do something in this world, either to believe in themselves or to make a change, they will treat you the same forever. I love that. I love how you've described it and the, the transformational part of it. I was struck to Allison by the words Brad chose. The one that stu- really stood out to me, I made a note, was 
how power over takes power from. Yeah. And that power to emotional intelligence, right? Power to gives power to everybody. And I love those words about, I've never thought of it that way, I guess. It makes perfect sense about how power over is power from taking from. Mm -hmm. So Brad, you are not only the first guy we've had on podcast, right? (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. So there are also the one of the many reasons, not just the incredible leadership I've been able to, to observe in our spaces together, but I really want to keep pushing on the myths that surround emotional intelligence. Um, and I'm going to list a few of them and, and maybe get your reaction and response to those. I think we hear often, you know, emotional intelligence, it's kind of woo-woo. It's a little squishy. It's not really mostly for males, not really something they're interested in or doesn't apply to them or whatever they're holding around that, the gender bias attached to it. Also attached to it is technically competent, you know, highly technically trained professionals don't have time for emotions. And I think the last one is around just manufacturing environments in general because of the dynamic nature of them, the 24-7 operations. We don't have time to slow down and deal with emotions kind of mentality. I believe those all to be kind of myths, things people attach to this that aren't true. I would just love to hear your reaction about that, if you agree with that or not, or what's been your experience. So I would, I would agree they're all myths. Ten years ago when I was first learning, I might have argued that whether or not it was a, a myth or not, but it, it's well hidden in the world. And it's, it's something you see. I, the way I think about emotional intelligence now, and I'm far from, from perfect at it, that's one of the things I love about emotional intelligence is it's this continuously learning journey of finding triggers in yourself or spotting the emotions in others. But it becomes this, I guess, in the word in frame of power, it becomes a superpower, this like sixth sense, if you will, where you see the world, as you get better and better at it, you see the world entirely differently. And it could be from running into like a hostile person at a store to dealing with a, a tough situation with a teammate to, to really big type of things. But you pick up on your own triggers and other people's feelings so differently that uh, you catch them early. It's, it's exactly like the movies like where Superman can all of a sudden see x-ray vision or, or, or the, whatever the superhero is can, can see the world differently. As you get better at it, it feels like, like that. The the example I give is, uh, and I see it every day, I've become a better dad, a better husband, everything through emotional intelligence. The way that I, I see it is as a leader now is where you may have walked past that person who was carrying resentments or insecurities and, and written them off. I now view that as untapped potential, the ability to unlock potential to do something with that. And all it takes is allowing them to be heard or helping them let go of those resentments. As far as your question on on it being a common common myth, I I definitely agree with it now as a a common myth. I've had my my journey and I know tons of other male leaders who prescribe to emotional intelligence and technical leaders and manufacturing things. I found that it speaks to them differently. I guess, in, in different ways along this journey. I love that. I love what you said about it being a superpower. 
and how it creates, what I heard you say was opportunity, opportunity to address more, opportunity to open up more. How do you get people to engage in that that don't have the data you have, don't have the skill and practice around it? How do you get them to go on that journey with you? I think there's the real, the real power of a question. A question is a safe space in emotional intelligence and in helping them feel heard. And I think emotional intelligence, when done well, they don't realize that you're being emotionally intelligent with them. I guess the, the medicines in the applesauce in a, in a kid analogy sort of thing. So a, a good example is for team members that necessarily weren't mine. If I see them carrying like these big resentments, there's not anything that I can say that's going to help them accomplish their goals until we figure out a way to help them let go of those resentments. And so an example exercise that I did with a, a kind of a cross team is we had them write down a way that in a notebook of every reason on why the places that they had worked had wronged them and why they felt that way. And then bring those notebooks to an away day. And then we did activities all day and we told them at every exercise that you will need these notebooks for that exercise, but then we never used them in the exercise. And then we talked about at the end of the day that these resentments we carry are really dead weight and they hold us back from really reaching our our potential. And ultimately we gave them the choice of whether or not they wanted to burn them and let them go or go do something else. And uh, it was intended to be kind of just this, this moment to help people process it. And it, it actually became something that the team says, no, this is, if you want to join the team now, you have to do this because <laughs> we're all hit. We're all marching forward. Brad, I love that you mentioned the burning thing. Oh my gosh. Alice and I have done this before in terms of letting go. We did it for New Year's. Uh, yes. And a New Year's project, which we won't get into the details, but there is something really powerful about that tangible letting go process. So kudos to you. I think, you know, that feels risky for a lot of people in corporate America. I love that you guys did that. How do you convince highly technical folks that are typically focused on, and convince probably isn't the right word, but how do you engage them in this when technical folks are really focused on getting the next technical skill certification, the next innovative, whatever, it's all half of their job that's around their technical competence, but there's not a lot of interest or even value put in the behavioral side. So for me, what called to me when I was, I guess, my technical engineering career is I first learned, I was fortunate to learn the science of emotional intelligence. What's going on with the amygdala? Why is it triggering? What's the role of the neocortex? And I just remember just feeling as an introverted engineer, excited that there was a training course for how to people. <laughs> and, and like <laughs> That's a great description. How to people. How, how to people, 101. Power to people. We might have to shift this from. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to me, speaking in terms of the science, it's it all to me. It's like, oh, okay, I can, I can understand this. I can do this. I was awful at it. But I, I at least knew that, okay, there's a method to doing this. And it's just going to take some practice to doing it. And as, as we've tried to introduce this amongst different team members throughout the organization, we found that the science to it definitely calls to engineers. Brad, it feels like there's a very common myth that environments like the one that you work in, manufacturing, defense, that those environments specifically are not the right place for emotional intelligence. How would you respond to that? 
the journey in, I guess, early of in this manufacturing industry or even in a male-dominated leadership society or leadership group, it was intimidating to want to change. Ten years ago, I hadn't, I didn't realize I had been exposed to emotional intelligent leaders, but the ones that were close to me, I would not recognize them as emotional intelligent leaders today. I, I learned really one style that I'd learned from, but I saw that it valued team culture and things like that, but I also saw that it could get short-term results. And when I went through my first feedback survey, it was, it was awful. The intent versus impact just simply wasn't there. And it was, I guess for me, it, it was, I, f- I remember feeling very afraid of giving up that style and kind of diving into, you know, there's no tiptoeing into it. You, it's all in on EI because the damage you do outweighs the good 10x. Time. So you have to jump all in. So when you had that, that initial fear and got that initial feedback and you didn't have the emotional intelligence skills yet, what was the impetus then? Was it that gap? Was it the shock of that gap that really started you down this journey? Or what, what was it that really began it for you? That's a good question. I think it's gone in, in phases. That harsh feedback initially was, I, I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be that person that the world was experiencing. And then I've had a number of life events that have really changed my perspective around kind of what is the role of a a leader. And it it doesn't necessarily mean that it was emotional intelligence, but what I found was what, for what I was valuing with the changes I was trying to make, it was always rooted in emotional intelligence. And so, so for me personally, I like my favorite leaders, I am drawn to those great change agents of the world. The ones that, that really fundamentally believe that they can change the world. And, and my personal belief is that when you look at those change agents, they can see a future that the rest of us cannot see. And they're trying to welcome us into that future, even if we're violently opposed to it. Right? <laughs> That's an and, interesting description. And so my favorite leader is Martin Luther King Jr. And he could, he could see a world that at the time that few people could see and many people were violently opposed for it. And those leaders believe in it so much that they're willing to put it up a, a personal collateral to achieve those goals. The greater the goal, the more collateral they're putting up. In some cases, it's their life. But behind that change, the way that they're able to influence those violently opposed is all emotional intelligence. Like those leaders that are able to do that is understanding what's behind that and, and what they what they need. And I'm not advocating that everybody needs to make those type of changes to be emotionally intelligent. So I'm just saying, if you look at your favorite leaders, male or female, behind what you, those causes, you, you'll find emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Brad, let me ask you something. A couple times now you've mentioned, as you describe, you know, the sort of the old style of leadership or top-down leadership, command and control, that it gets short-term results yeah. instead of long-term. Like, is there a personal experience with that that you've had that you can speak to, like what that means versus what a leader who has people engaged the long-term looks like? The way I talk about that now is it, is it creates kind of a choose-to versus a have-to culture. If you look at, like, as a team, if you look at, like, the energy you have to put in as a have-to culture, if that's what you want in your team, right, it takes not that much effort from the leader 
but it gives short-term results and, and those individuals are going to hold back that discretionary effort and things. And do you think about that, that culture of compliance of mm-hmm. what are really, really out of, yeah. out of that? The choose to culture takes more energy from the leader up front of how are you going to really understand what's in your team and what they need and what they're, what message that they're going to be that really compels them to follow this, this mission, the why behind it. Mm-hmm. But it takes a whole lot more energy up front to do that because you're giving them choice in the matter. And that choice is what pays dividends. In the industries we're, we're in, I think the reason you saw that, that old style so much, the command and control style, was it requires loyalty to work. That's the only way it works. But that loyalty doesn't come from what the leader's doing. In those old companies, you had pensions or retirement health care plans or, or whatever that would incentivize people to be loyal to the company. And in many cases, those leaders were mistaking that that, that, that was loyalty to them, not loyalty to the company. And so that have-to culture will work because the leader's telling you what to do and then you, you've given up your choice by being loyal to that company. Those, those things don't exist anymore. Uh, that, that you'd have the same reasons to be loyal to, to a leader. And I think that's why we're, we're seeing it become increasingly less effective for that leadership style versus a leadership style that can inspire them and, and they choose to stay and they choose to follow you on that mission. So Brad, I love what you said. I think this is why it was so important that we wanted to have you on today. I love what you said about leaders confusing employees having uh, this have to versus choose to around loyalty and who are they really serving here? I, I feel like I feel like that is actually what we're still dealing with in the pro in the most of the power structures of corporate America. I'm not speaking to your company alone. You only know that. I mean, in general, in those power structures, people confuse the roles in the organization as that's who they are completely. It's their whole identity. And you need to be loyal to me versus the greater good or the choices you have around that. I think that's a powerful statement to be to be made from you as a male leader, as a white male leader, mm-hmm. and as someone in, in what's viewed as something so masculine as a defense industry, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a really a profound statement, I think, that people don't really slow down enough to pay attention to. Yeah, I agree. So I hear you saying, Brad, that you're not, you think it's emotional intelligence is actually there. Maybe it's just more hidden. Yeah, And the question I have is, given what you just said about the loyalty to and that pattern still being there, I do still believe we have a lot of work to do to bring emotional intelligence to the forefront around those power structures. Do you think that's a fair statement or no? No, I do. I, I think that that's a, a fair statement. I do think it's hidden. I do find that the leaders I'm drawn to now are emotionally intelligent and I can I can feel that draw, and, and male or female, but I can notice it in other male leaders where I didn't notice it before. And I, and I put it to like the first time you, you buy a car and you never saw the car on the road before, but now you see them everywhere. Yeah. And it, it just becomes this, I guess, veil that gets unrolled as you become increasingly more intelligent. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's why that leader asked that question. That's how they're able to stay calm. That's how they're not triggered. That, that person just said something awful to them. Why, why aren't they, yes. why aren't they mad at them? 
Yeah. And then, you, and then, you, and then you're right. You still do see, you know, leaders get upset or take it personally or or get triggered in a reaction. And I guess now you feel. I guess for one, I originally I feel sorry for them. I haven't been on this that that part of the journey yet, but you feel compelled that you need to pay it forward. That even if they're more senior or peers or whatever, yeah. what question can you ask them that will will help? I do think I'll let you jump in here, Allison. I do think that, and I also think this question around the confusion people have around their identity of their work roles that that even if I'm an emotionally intelligent leader, sometimes, especially at the top organizations, I see leaders lose themselves in those roles, meaning, well, I'm the leader here. I'm going to put my emotional intelligence to the, to the side. I got to make it, I got to lead, I got to lead. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens a lot where, but one-on-one they might act completely differently, but in a group of other peers, it's, it's more of what you said earlier, the choice of power over. You know, I got I to gotta be powerful here and take someone else's powerful way to be heard. So I do see it going, I guess, both ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I think the, the, those emotional intelligent leaders, I think I genuinely believe that they'll, they'll be the same in a one-on-one setting as they will, will a group. I think the myth, if you want to talk about myth, yeah. perception that strength and will is the path to get groups of people to do something. That's a good distinction, yeah. That's the myth. And like I said, it gets things done in the short term, but it's limited because you will never get that discretionary effort, personal sacrifice, whatever it is that those team members will give if you've truly inspired them. And and some people, you, you may not, but you're unlocking, when you go down this path of emotional intelligence, it, it's it's hard up front, it doesn't work right away. I mean, it, it's, it's not something that changes overnight. You have to undo your baggage. You have to really convince people that it's not just a manipulation or, or anything like that, that, that you genuinely care about what they're feeling. Yeah, it's not uh, and you're acting in their best interest. So, Can I jump in with a question about that? Yeah. Do you have a personal experience with that resistance? Um, the resistance, how? So maybe here's a better way to ask that. So you were just talking about how when people start to make this shift as a leader into more emotional intelligence and that it doesn't come easily, that it can be difficult. Do you say that from personal experience? Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so my, um, uh, my journey was when I had my first leadership role and I was leading the at the time, what felt like a huge team of like 30 people, but I ran daily standups, 7.45 every morning. What did you deliver yesterday? Why didn't it get done? What are you doing today to deliver? And we made progress, but it was it was not a fun place to be. In fact, um, the running joke for me personally was uh, that one of my close colleagues likes to do now is I'd walk down the aisles completely focused on whatever you know I was focused on, not mm-hmm. talking the team and he said he could see like recognition in me of like I'd stop and turn and say oh personal interaction required here and then, <laughs> and then move on Is there personal interaction here? So, um, so, good. So, good. so for me it was a it was definitely an internal journey I think the resistance was all internal uh, of myself of of what what's going to be I, I never saw 
anyone in the organization say, Brad, we want you to stop becoming so emotionally in- intelligent about things or squishy or anything like that. That's all fear inside of, of is, is this still going to deliver the results that I want? And it did. I think the, the best example is, is years later, we had a customer escape and it was a bad one. And this type of escape would usually take six months to finish. And uh, we didn't have that much time in a safety critical industry to do that for, for the customer. And it was, a, it was a team meeting and it was an emotionally intelligent team meeting where it says, hey, we, we screwed up and I, I need your help to figure out how to, how to fix this. And this is the, this is the time frame that, that we need to figure out. And can you help figure this out? And the team took it on their own to figure out how to get it done in six weeks. So you're talking 10% of the time, no cutting corners, no nothing, all pouring in discretionary effort to get it done. And it wasn't for me necessarily. It was for one, they believed in the the mission. And two, they were given the they were given the choice. There's no mandatory stand-ups every day. There's no what are you doing for me today to, that you did yesterday that you'd see in that that classic style that tries to will it to happen. Mm-hmm. It was about the seeds had been sown that they were attached to that purpose and that they, they didn't want to let it down. And it really had nothing to do with, with me as leader. Love that. Oh. I love that example. So Brad, you're now, you're now with Allison and I. We're going into a new team space. It's full of senior leaders who are engineers. And they've gotten the memo, we're going to go on an emotional intelligence journey, and they have zero time for this. What do you say to them? I'd probably joke up front of welcome to our day of trust falls and and, and <laughs> talking about our feelings. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Always a great way to make engineers sweat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Group hugs and trust falls. <laughs> um, I would talk about that what I would say for emotional intelligence is that it is the, of all the skills I've learned, technical or training or whatnot, emotional intelligence is the single biggest thing I've found that impacted my career. And it's the single biggest thing that I found that changed my team's performance. Mm -hmm. Um, As they increasingly became more curious about what it is and how they interact with each other. It changes the culture. If you're not dealing with skirmish after skirmish after skirmish because everybody's triggered that it's a culture where uh, I guess an employee-owned culture to where that they have the choice in, in what's being said and that it feels like a family. So if one person's successful, everybody feels successful. And if one person's hurting, everyone's hurting. It makes the leadership job so much easier in a good way. Yeah. And what do you say, Brad? I'm sorry, Alice, I'm on a tear here because I'm actually dealing with a situation with one of our clients, not, not him, but who he's leading. What do you say, Brad, to a situation where the person says, you know what emotional intelligence is? It helps me learn how to be nice to people and manipulate them. <laughs> I find that interesting that you would feel that way is, is probably the first thing I would say. And I'd probably ask, well, why do you feel that way? And in all likelihood, they would answer about some something that's happened to them in the past that has caused them to feel that way. And that, and I would ask, I would ask that: Are there any blind spots in your logic there? Right? Do you have any limiting beliefs that may be preventing you from seeing 
the whole picture. I guess if we got into a discussion about is it useful or not, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I would try to necessarily combat the no, it is useful sort of thing. It's first you have to unlock that, whatever they're carrying, and, mm-hmm. and then they'll be open to yeah. hearing a new idea. That was an emotionally intelligent answer. So, Allison, what I heard was Brad would like to have all these discussions we have with other people. So, I'll make sure <laughs> that we have your contact information. <laughs> right. We'll be getting some conference on that Zoom call invites. <laughs> also, what would you say to that? Because, you know, it's Brad, I love you said this earlier even about the manipulation. Like any, you can take any framework and tool or skill you're, you have and position it from a manipulative perspective. I mean, that's human nature. You can choose to do that, I guess. But just because you choose to do it doesn't make the tool that. So what would you say to that, Allison? That's a great question. You know, to your point, Brad, I would have a lot of questions about why they feel that way. Yeah. What, what makes you believe that? What experience do you have with that? that's where I would go because that is not how I experience it. So I would be, I would have a lot of curiosity around why they would be able to say that. So just yeah. sort of agreeing with you. What about you, Sherry? Brad, you used the word fear-based. I absolutely think that's where it comes from. It's just, for me, I experienced that as another way to put a roadblock up so I don't have to get real with myself, especially when other people in the room. Because that is scary. It's scary space, right? I mean, it, and it's hard work, as you've said, Brad, to really dig into your own self-awareness means you have to face yourself. And that is hard. That's hard, hard space. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and most of the journey with emotional intelligence is is inward, inward reflecting and, and really thinking about who am I principally as a person and, and who do I want Want to be and, and and how am I being perceived? And no way is perfect. And I think even if you can accept that, that that's just part of the journey. That there's ups and downs to it. And as long as you're doing your best and your intentions are pure, you're going to be just fine. Um, and that finding that I guess ultimately that self confidence that we talked about at the beginning of believing in yourself that that you have the skill in you and and you're going to keep learning. Love that. I love how the pattern around this has been around. It's a practice. It's a journey. It's not an event. It's not easy. It takes time. Like you said, Brad, at the beginning of the project, we always call this a pay now or pay forever choice. You can pay a little more up front and pay less as you go, or you can just keep doing the same thing, paying a lot for forever. So I love the themes around that uh, in terms of the ROI for emotionally intelligence. Even if you, even if you don't buy into, I want connection and engagement with people and it's just a smart business decision is what I'm getting out of our conversation too. You know, I would add to that too, what I was thinking about when Brad was talking about doing that inner work, that you do have that. I'm going to say this wrong. Let me think about how I want to say it, but it's, you know, to your point, a lot of times, Sherry, it's always your work. And that to me feels like safe and that I have some power and control in how my life unfolds. You know, that part of it that emotional intelligence isn't about, you know, making other people happy or necessarily even having to have connections. It's all that, who am I and how am I showing up in the world? And that makes me feel like in control of myself. And to your point, have more confidence about how people are experiencing me. I think that's a piece that gets lost on people that aren't familiar with what this work means. 
love to your point, Jerry, that it's hard to face that sometimes when you are looking at yourself that deeply. I've been there. So this is awesome, Brad. I think it's, I think it's going to blow people's minds. I'll be honest. Okay. I have a question for you, Brad, and I can, you can, you know, let me know what your reaction is to as you answer it. You mentioned earlier, very early in the discussion that your experience with developing your emotional intelligence has helped you in every aspect of your life. And you talked about being a better father and a better partner in addition to being a better employee. How does that come to life for you in your personal life? Oh, that's a great question. I think the way I'd put it is, so I can certainly speak to my wife way better than I used to be able to, of just trying to understand what she's she's feeling, being curious about it. Doesn't mean I have to agree with her, right? That's that's not the, the rules of the road, but just trying to understand what she's trying to, to say. With my kids, emotional intelligence is easy for children. Uh, in fact, they, to be honest, they, they teach it in schools now. What, what color are you feeling? What color is your friend feeling? You know, whatever it is. And they don't call it emotional intelligence, but that's what they're teaching them is the recognition of what you're feeling inside yourself and feeling in others. We do a couple things that we've, that's probably changed with the, the kids, the way that they resolve conflict is, is it starts with I am feeling X, Y, or Z, and it's making, like, and you try to avoid you sort of thing of these attack words that are going to lead the, the people tr- trigger. They, I, I love them all dearly. The, they still fight, but they resolve conflict light years better than I did, even at 30 years old. And then I think that, I, I don't know if this is emotional intelligent or not, but each, this, and this just may have come from life events, but each day at dinner, we talk about uh, what are you grateful for? And it's, it's just this uplifting conversation around how to find gratitude in your life because gratitude will take that feeling and, and of life of where maybe you didn't feel it, felt it was empty and it'll turn it into more than enough. So, um, and our kids lead the, lead the charge on talking about that at dinner. It's my wife and I, we tend to, we sometimes forget and it's almost a race of who gets to say it first or what are you going for today? Oh. I love that. I want to come to your family dinner. <laughs> That's something that would absolutely, well, that's something my daughter, Sherry, has experienced with, that talking about emotions and things is still a struggle for her. And she gets it honestly. That's exactly how I was. So I love it that you've started so far back with them and that they're embracing it. That's so, so great to hear. Those generations give me hope, man. Mm -hmm. So maybe we end on this question, you guys. The the last question I'm holding is, you know, let's say we have a leader listening to this, no matter where he or she is or where their company is, and maybe they're not in a space inside the organization that is open to this. Where can they start? What resources would you recommend? Is it coaching? Is it a book? Like, what is it that you would say, hey, explore this, reach out for this? How would you get them started? Does that make sense? Yeah, I would I would do that. There are some excellent courses. Well, I guess I guess the first start, I would first do some self-reflection to say you will be successful on this journey. I fully understand what you're feeling uh, with the need to be this the I guess the environmental pressures to to keep doing what you're doing or whatever the others are doing around you. And 
it won't be long later where, where you realize that this was the right choice to find that change in you. But there are there are ways that you could build communities of practice, and there are specific training that I recommend. I love the science of emotional intelligence. Uh, I, I don't need to do a, a shout out to which company. I think having a coach, whether that's you know professional or someone who's been along the emotional intelligence journey that you just feel safe with, is a very positive place to to start. I don't know that it matters where you start as long as you start because you're going to build interest automatically and it'll become this thirst inside of you that you just want more about what it is and you will find it you'll find it on your own. Love that. It's like we we've talked you and I've talked about this I know Alice and I have too. It's like one like you said earlier once you see it you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. I love your thing about just start what about you? How would you, I'm sure you get that question a lot, Sherry. Well, how do you even start or what, what should you do? Yeah. I love Brad's self-reflection. Like what is it that you're noticing that's just causing this question to even come up for you, right? Like what do you, what do you want out of this? What are you yearning for? What, what feels like it's missing? Whatever that question is for you to explore, start there. I do think there's some great resources out there. Brad, I know you have a book that you have used as kind of your resource um, I do as well. So Daniel Goleman's book is is my reference, the work from he and Richard Boyatza. Um, and there's a ton of EI stuff out there, but I really, the only thing I would say is please make sure you get a reference tool that's grounded in research and the science Brad mentioned. Would you agree with that, Brad? I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And uh, for references, I'd be happy to provide any for you, but definitely make sure it's rooted in science. So. Yeah. Yeah. So like with all things that have, as Brad said, transformational impact, I feel like a lot of people write books about it, but they aren't really, it's about their experience. That's great. But if you're just learning, I think you and understanding the science behind it, how your brain works is critically important. To me, that's the intriguing part of it. You know? um, awesome. Brad, thank you. Oh my gosh. Appreciate you being here today. No, thank you. This was this was fun. I really appreciate being the first male on the show. I hope I, I hope I didn't let my gender down. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm okay either way. In all honesty, but but thank you for having me having me here. I'm, I'm glad to be part of this journey with you. So. Uh, I'm sure it's the first of many conversations we'll have as we keep going through this. So. So for those of you listening today, we hope you explore your own level of emotional intelligence, uh, what blind spots you might have, how you might want to take the next step, whatever level you're at in terms of your EI. And that uh, I'm going to steal Brad's phrase that you, you learn how to deepen your own power to people.